You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 59, Rainbow, Long Live Rock and Roll. And coming to you from the Phase 2 suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John 18th Amendment Matolo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's, that's the one nobody's talking about these days. No, the one no, one, no one's talking about? Uh, what is that? First what is, Amendment, it, well, Second Amendment. Well, the eight, oh, you're just, you're just riffing on the, because that's what banned alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. And then the 21st brought it back or something, or the 21st negated the 18th? Yeah, something, something like, like something that. like that. However, um, much like everybody in the 1920s, Rhode Island did not hate, did not hate, did not love prohibition. No. Um, so our General Assembly was one of the only two state legislatures in the United States that never ratified the 18th Amendment. Really? So does that mean it was it was never Ergo, illegal? It was it was it was bedlam here in Rhode Island back in the 20s oh, because man. guess where all that illegal liquor came. Right really? Here. Well, no wonder there's such a, a hot, heavy mob presence in in yeah. Rhode Island. Our coastline became a, a place where alcohol from Canada, the Bahamas, and other places was brought. So crime was rampant. Oh, there you go. And still crime is was, to this day. <laughs> crime was abundant. So, yeah, Rhode Island, uh, we, we wanted our booze. So, yeah, well, there you go. I mean, it appears that everyone did. A little history for you. As yeah. spoilers ahead, it didn't work out that well. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, it's like uh, the only the only difference is that the the little estate in the union was the only one that had the balls to say, "Nope, yeah. <laughs> we're going to keep drinking." What you going to do mean, about it? Well, I mean, at least um, you know, and I'm sure everybody else they have the speakeasies and everything, but we were just like, "No, we're not even like that that law. We're not even going to just put put it over there, put in the to do pile. We're, we'll get to it later." And hmm. we never got to it. There's still a very heavy, you know, mob presence in Rhode Island. And and uh, I guess that's where it comes from. I remember a story of, uh, you know, that that little park on, on Branch Avenue. Like if you it's like a very little park. If you're driving down Branch mm. Avenue towards like University Heights there on the left hand side, mm. there's this yes. little park. And there's like the I guess there are, the, you know, these old guys that used to like sit on the bench and feed the pigeons. And these like like teenage ruffians came around and were just giving them a hard time and make, making their, their time in the park not very friendly. So they told they talked to a few of their Italian brothers and they came down to the park. And it's just like, I don't know what they said to these kids, but those kids were never seen again. I don't think they killed them. I just think they were basically like told them that, you know, they're going to be wearing some cement shoes. <laughs> and I, I worked at a, a, a restaurant uh, down uh, down in the in Providence, right on the river. Uh, mm-hmm. Was it the Red Red River or what's the name of that river? I don't know. But um, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. It's terrible. In the dining room, you know, you you got this great little view of the the Red Bridge was the name of the bridge. So I don't remember mm-hmm. what the river is. Um, probably the East River. Who who knows? And uh, 
you know, you'd see like you know swans and things floating across the river, and one time just a body just floated <laughs> by the river. It's like the whole dining room just went crazy. As well, they should have. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely put a different tone oh. on the dinner service that night. <laughs> so they just like look out the window and they're like, uh, and the waiter's like, after a few minutes of silence. So, would you like to hear our wine list? <laughs> Well, we, another night there was a, 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 this, this, I, 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 we put out an order basically. I put it out in the window and I'm like, it was duck. And the waiter came by and was like, um, they don't want the duck anymore. And I was like, the whole order is ready. Like right now, what are you talking about? Cause this is, this is a fancy pants restaurant, you know, the restaurant. And, um, you know, I'm like, you know, this stuff isn't just like, we don't just like pull it out of a bag and thaw it out in 90 seconds and hot, and <laughs> hot water like they do at Panera. I'm like, we just, just got made. He's like, the woman was watching out the window and she saw a duck swim by. So now she doesn't want to have the duck. <laughs> it's like, oh it's like, it didn't occur to her until this moment that ducks were once living. <sighs> but anyway, yeah, she'll, she'll take the steak. I'll take this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she'll have, she'll have a burger. You're, it's unlikely no, to see a cow swim by. Yeah, there's no cows outside in the lake, right? Very, very few <laughs> cows in Providence. So anyway, if you want to keep up to date on all of this relevant Deep Purple material, you can uh, subscribe in Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe in YouTube or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And all of those links are at deeppurplepodcast.com. Two huge ways you can support the show. The first of which is to become a patron on Patreon for as little as one measly dollar a month. You can support the show. And the other way you can support the show is by leaving us a five star review on Apple podcasts. And uh, hey, we just got one in hot off the presses. This one comes to us from Jcon UK. Five stars. The title is who knew there are even bigger DP fans than me. I love listening to these guys. They are deep, sorry, fans, but they don't just say everything is great. They are honest and smart and fun to listen to. Every DP will enjoy this. Well, thank nice. you. Hey, thank you, J-Con UK. We appreciate that. I don't know if we're bigger fans than you. We're, we're pretty big, but yeah, we're no biggest. There's, there's probably bigger. Well, there's definitely bigger. You know, if we were bigger fans, we'd be on Facebook arguing about which mark is the real mark and which mm-hmm. how you can't count this one, but you can count that one. There was a big argument today of Joe Satriani. Was that its own <laughs> mark or not? Like, who gives a crap? <laughs> uh, it was. It wasn't. It was. It wasn't. It's like, well, he was, was. in the. I mean. <laughs> They're like, if you'd say he was in the band, then that means that one show that Randy California played was its own mark. I'm like, come on, dude. That was <laughs> he filled in for one show. This is Joe Satriano is in the band for what? Six months. Yeah. Finished a tour. <laughs> mark seven point two five. Yeah. There's so okay. many people that if you and if you say anything is from a mark past, like, I don't know, mark five, when it starts to get a little more complicated, mm-hmm. then people start. um arguing with you like no you mean mark seven you mean mark eight oh my god anyway <laughs> how about just deep purple yeah deep purple you know like <laughs> let's i love how you can get a group of thousands of people who are all joining a group called deep purple because they love deep purple and all they do is fight about deep purple about that's not real deep purple this is real deep purple that song sucks no that album's great no it isn't 
Like, mm. I'm glad I, I found a like-minded group of people I could argue with. <laughs> we, we, it's like we all we all have oh so much in common about loving this band, but we can find so many things to just yell at each other about and tell each other we're idiots. Well, Those are some people up to do. So speaking of uh, people that have supported us on Pat- Patreon... We've got our patrons to thank at the $15 highball shooter tier, Steve Seaborg of NameOnAnything.com and AllTheWorldsOfStage.net. At the Turn It Up to $11 tier, Ryan M. At the $10 No One Came tier, hmm, no one. We're still waiting for somebody to show back up. It used to be a, such a strong tier, and now everyone's left trying to one-up each other. But somebody mm. somebody someday will rejoin at the $10 tier. At the $5 Money Lender tier, Clay Wambacher, Greg Sealby, Frank Teelgard Mortensen, and Mike Knowles. At the $3 Nobody's Perfect tier, Peter Gardo, Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback, and Anton Glaving. And at the $1 Made Up Name tier, Els Murders, Spacey Noodles, the... Haunting Leaky Mausoleum and mm. Michael Vader. Impressive. All right. That's all we got. And if you don't like Patreon because you think it's newfangled or something that only millennials do or whatever your nonsense is, you can also donate on PayPal. One time payment or recurring payments are available. And as I've stated before, no one is taking us up on that, despite the fact that we've been told everyone hates Patreon. But I don't know. Our numbers seem to say something different since everyone is on Patreon and no one's on PayPal. Maybe if you become the first PayPal donator, you can uh, get some sort of special recognition. We'll have to we'll have to think if anyone if anyone stoops to that level of going on PayPal, <laughs> we'll come up with something something special. I still have. I still have PayPal. I saved it from you know, the old days in case some dinosaur wants me to pay them through PayPal. <laughs> I still use it quite a bit. I've had it since, you know, the late 90s yeah. when it was like yeah, linked, linked to um, to eBay. And uh, I mean, honestly, it's still like it's still linked to some things. It's a pretty easy method of payment, although I use um, I use Venmo a lot now. But honestly, like, uh, you're really either, hip. Yeah. But I mean, you know what? Either both of them have apps. Um, it's just more people mm-hmm. now have Venmo, but they essentially work the same, except, uh, PayPal doesn't have like a little, a little story thing telling you who paid who, what with little, yeah, I know it's like a social media thing. Oh my God. Can you believe Jack gave $5 to so-and-so my, my like wife John paid Nate for like, you know, guitar icon, you know, $70. It's like, ah, give me a break with that stuff. <laughs> my like, wa- I keep everything private. My wife and my, and her sister are like, have this like long, complicated spreadsheet and Venmo history of like one person mm. will spend, you know, cause we'll do family, th- you know, well, we used to do family yeah. things together and stuff. So we go on a trip and like one of us will spend a hundred dollars on this and the other one spend $110 on that. The other one will spend $120 on this. And there's just all this money flying back and forth and if we basically if we didn't do anything then probably one of us would be out five bucks but there's hundreds of dollars just flying around all the time to try to balance out all of these silly things that we buy and then we get we used to use it for babysitters too it was funny because the babysitters are half our age and we're like are you on venmo like no i'm like ah damn it we have to stop by an atm on the way home are you kidding me (laughs) like get venmo get with it i don't even have it but my wife does so it's like you know you're young. You're supposed to be using this stuff. Wait, how does somebody in their teens or twenties not have Venmo? I know. Like that's we do. That's the, well, we don't have to worry about that anymore because babysitters are a thing of the past. 
Yep, bye. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> thanks to our brothers at the Deep Dive Podcast Network, Riot Sabbath Bloody Podcast, The Simple Man at Skinner Reconsidered, and of course, the chairman, Terry T-Bone Mathley at T-Bone's Prime Cuts, and of course, the man who makes it all possible, Jorg Planer, and his undying love, support, and help with research. So before we move on, uh, exciting news. We've got another sponsor this week. They just keep coming in. Uh, we'll have at least a few weeks more of sponsors, I hope. And uh, this sponsor uh, has a very special message for us. So let's hear how it goes. Can't you if I consulted with quadrupeds, man's animal, how we put a place in history. If I could walk with the animals, talk with the animals, run, sweet, swap with the animals. All right. Walk with the animals, <laughs> talk to the animals. I have no idea what that is an ad for. So oh, so great. this uh, this week is brought to you by Jolyn Turner and animals. Animals. <laughs> to me, this is <laughs> this one's like, is, is it Joe? Is it Jolyn Turner in the studio slowly losing his mind? Or it's just like, <laughs> I could walk with the animals, talk with the animals and they'll talk to me. <laughs> and you're like, what is he doing? He's like. We're recording, but what is he doing? Like, they're like cut. Like, they, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll use it for something. I don't know what. So it's got to be like I'm like, is it an ad for a? If you know what that ad was for, please let us know. Is it is it an ad for uh, a zoo or I don't know? But he wants to talk animal to the animal shelter. <laughs> well, animal or, shelter that would be great. Or an insane an insane <laughs> asylum. Because <laughs> at the mm. end, he's saying the animals are going to talk to him. So it's like, what's going on there? Yeah, maybe. Uh, I don't know, Disney Animal Kingdom. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, Who knows? Seems anybody's guess. Um, but anyway, today we're not here to talk about animals. We're here to talk about rock and roll and how long it should live. And the answer is long. And this album started... It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Do you like that segue? Mm. Um, this album uh, was started to, started to be recorded. This is a kind of a weird one because... God, Rainbow at this point, it's 1977. They've been, what, the better part of two years or two and a half yeah, years? Two or, two or three years. When did they start in 74, Well, his last show with say? Deep Purple was, what, March or April of 75. And this is April of 77. They're getting ready to record their third album. Mm-hmm. Um third studio album there they and in between rising and this they release a live album which is kind of crazy for the third release from this band to be a live album um so yeah so they go go to the chateau in france they end up booking it's a chateau d'eroville d'eroville ian de rosier will have to pronounce my uh uh, correct my pronunciation. Um, they ended up there because Musicland was booked, and usually you're always hearing about these albums being done at Musicland. But um, Musicland's booked, so they end up at the Chateau in France. And um, Tony Carey was initially playing keyboards for the band because he had played on the previous uh, album, and Mark Clark on bass. And uh, eventually, basically, Blackmore fires Carey. And says that he didn't think his imp- improvisational skills were good enough. Um, Jimmy Bain was let go, and then they bring in uh, this Mark Clark guy. Um, there was <laughs> because, of course, they were so they were so terrible on the 
Rainbow Rising. Oh, just them. just awful, just awful. what a piece of garbage that was. Well, Blackmore <laughs> has a very short <laughs> short uh, attention span for uh, mm. members of the band. So uh, apparently, Carrie and to a lesser extent Bane were being ruthlessly pranked and bullied by mostly Blackmore, but a little bit Powell. <laughs> um, and you know, we've talked in many episodes about Blackmore's pranks. So this one um, with Bane, he uh, set. Bane's fed, Bane's bed on fire while Bane was in it. <laughs> another hilarious Richie prank. Another another knee slapper. Oh, it's like oh, that Richie. He's like ah, I got him good. Um, so he, um, you know, you would think like wouldn't like again. I'm not a big prankster, but you'd think wouldn't wouldn't a good prank be to set something up so that somebody triggers it, not to look. <laughs> that's basically the equivalent of punching somebody in the face. Like ha, I got you good. You weren't expecting that. Like it should be like, shouldn't a prank be more the spirit or a prank be some set something up so that they punch themselves in the face or so they set their own bed on fire. Again, not a safe prank, but uh, Richie has a long history of not being very safe with when it comes to fire. Um, so he sets his bed on fire. Bane leaps out of bed, throws all the burning sheets out the windows. Miraculously, he's not seriously injured. Um, in Colin Hart's book, Colin Hart's book, uh, A Heart Life, which is a really good, um, really good telling of of all of these stories of these albums from like more of a behind the scenes and on the road sort of perspective. He talks about the bullying of Carrie, and he's a little bit more sympathetic to Richie, basically saying that Carrie was like really heavy into drug use, and Richie hated drug use. So they said the more that Carrie did drugs, the more it increased Richie's desire to torment him. Uh, but my help, my thinking is maybe it was the other way around. <laughs> the more Richie tormented him, the more he turned to drugs. Um, but it, it didn't sound like a, a very a very good relationship a working relationship to be in. Um, so uh, Jerry Bloom says in his book that like basically Carrie would be in a room in this chateau from seven to uh, from seven to three, he'd be in the studio and then he'd basically go in his room and bolt the door shut for the rest of the day while the rest of the band recorded. So not a very healthy environment. It sounds like a lot of other uh, situations we've seen Richie be in, in the past with whether it be with deep purple or rainbow or, um, it, it wasn't, it, it was more mm-hmm. of like a, it turned into kind of a passive aggressive, like I'm going to avoid this person sort of thing. So he mm-hmm. fires Carrie, um, and this classic, he couldn't, they couldn't find a replacement for Carrie. So Blackmore hires Carrie as a session musician to, to work on the album, <laughs> which is just, I mean, it's, it's as comical as it sounds like, you know, ah, oh, this guy's no good. He can't improvise. Oh, we can't find anybody. Let's, I know a good guy we could hire. <laughs> <laughs> the guy we just fired. I guess it's a one way you could be like, well, you're hired as a session musician, but you're not in the band. Just so you know. Um, I wonder if, like, if he was hired as a session musician, did he get paid less than if he were a member of the band? I mean, I'm sure it could be. It could be part of it. But what, from what I've read, and I can't remember which book specifically, it seemed like people. I guess you'd ask the question: Why do people keep? agreeing to work with Blackmore based on his reputation or based on at least how short-lived people might be in the band. And the word on the street is that Blackmore paid extremely well, Uh, which isn't always what you hear about these sort of situations. Like maybe it'd be some cheapskates, but it sounds like Blackmore paid very well for the time and for the musicians. So people were very willing to join in. And obviously working in a band of that stature was going to be great for your career. Um, So Clark was let go uh, by Blackmore as well. 
he played on a few of the tracks and then they, I think they basically re- deleted everything he did. And um, Clark was a fingerstyle player and Blackmore insisted that he use a pick. And I guess he just wasn't as comfortable using a pick. Uh, so uh, Blackmore got rid of all of his tracks and did the bass parts himself for some of them. Um, so then Bob Daisley comes on the scene, the Australian, who was formerly with the band Widowmaker, um, which I've, I have only heard a little bit of, but I've heard so many people raving about how good Widowmaker is. It's something we really got to get into. Um, so Australian Bob Daisley and Canadian David Stone were hired as the bass player and keyboard player, respectively. And then they come out, they, and then they, start, they go on a tour. So the, the album like started and then just was kind of abandoned. And they all went on tour in the summer and the fall of 1977. And then they regrouped, I think it was late 77, early 78, to finish up the album. So they recorded this on-stage live album, which I'm sure you've heard that one, right? Yeah. Um, so it's you know odd. So they record this live album with this new lineup, and then get back in the studio and record you know in some cases songs that were on on stage before they even were recorded on uh, Long Live Rock and Roll, like Kill the King. Um, so it's it's on the live album, but then but <laughs> it's funny to release a live album with a song that never been released before. Uh, but kind of interesting. Yeah, it must have been weird. Yeah. It's it's interesting too, and it has like a little bit of a different energy to it but i guess they had been playing that one for a while uh they also hired gruber back for like a month until daisley came on board and then uh, got rid of him in favor of daisley so daisley was on three songs on this album stone was on four and then carrie then blackmore would have played bass on the rest of them and uh carrie would have played keyboards on the rest of the keyboard tracks Hmm. so it's a little confusing Um, okay yeah i never i never actually knew that i thought that bob daisley played on the whole album um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a mishmash on this album. It's, it, they're in, in huge transition, and obviously, um, Rainbow's a band that was always in transition. Um, so the studio that they uh, did again was Chateau d'Orville, uh, d'Orville, in Paris. And Jethro Tull had used this studio before, and they called it Chateau Disaster. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently, it was like a spooky castle, and there were lots of Ouija boards and seances, of course, because. Richie loves seances. So, seances and pranks. Seances, <laughs> exactly. Pranks and funny hats. So, uh, so we talked about uh, Bob Daisley already. He was from Widowmaker. He didn't have really many other credits. And same with David Stone was kind of a relatively new. He was in a band called Symphonic Slam, which is a Canadian band before this. And then, of course, rounding it out, we've got Cozy Powell, Richie Blackmore, of course, and Ronnie James Dio, and then Tony Carey, filling out some of the tracks on keyboards. Um, There's a bunch of other kind of concert people involved. There's a concert master and a conductor. Ferenc Kiss, who is part of some Hungarian folk music group called Kolinda. And Rainier Rainier Piech, a German music musician songwriter um, who actually conducted the 1975 German entry into the Eurovision Song Contest. So how about that? And then the strings on this are by the Bavarian String Ensemble. And then you've got some cellos, some flutes, some recorders, viola, and violins. And that's kind of the lead up to the album and the the people that were involved. Then you've got uh, this album itself. Oops. Which is a very, um, the album art is pretty iconic. What do you you think about this, this album cover here? 
I love this album cover. It's, um, this is actually, I think, one of the only ones that I, or one of the first ones anyway, that I owned on vinyl. So, um, I mean, and this is one of the cool ones to see, like really big instead of just on a CD or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's really, it's really cool. It actually reminds me, I'm sure it reminds a lot of people too of the, um, this was before the Aerosmith uh, Draw the Line album cover but it's very much reminds me of it um but i always liked it because when i was younger i was really into um art and uh portrait drawing and everything especially like you know pen or pencil sketches and everything so this i thought was incredibly detailed like really just really cool as a piece of artwork yeah it's it's great it looks like it was As good as it looks, it looks like it was done rather quickly. Like, I don't mean that as an insult in any way. It just looks like it was, it was like a rough, it, it looks beautiful, but it looks like it was a rough sketch almost. Um, and I love, I don't I, know. I feel, I feel like it's supposed to look like a, right, like a sketch, right? Right. Like I, I, yeah, again, I don't mean it as a, as an insult, but it, it was, yeah. it, it has a very cool look about it. Just the way that the, the way that the lines are and the way that it's not like, you know, there might be some stray lines here and there. It's 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 not like this perf picture perfect sort of thing. It's just very cool, and it look yeah, it looks like a sketch. Yeah, it's definitely one of the cooler um, album covers. Although one of the things that I always thought about it was is that like <laughs> Ronnie's face looks way bigger than like it looks like not too proportionate. Like Richie looks the most in proportion. Of course, he looks suspicious. Um, <laughs> he does. He looks like there might be a cameraman lurking <laughs> off to the left there. <laughs> <laughs> but then Ronnie's face looks like it's too like too round. And then the other three just look like a lot smaller, drawn a lot smaller than the other ones. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the nitpicky things that always kind of bothered me about it. It was just like basically Ronnie's face just always looked like too big and too round. Um, but you know, that's like me, like staring at it for a while. And like, after enjoying the album cover being like, okay, how do I pick it apart? <laughs> yeah. Cause that's, well, because that's where your mind goes to. You start to look at things for a while and then you're just like, oh, this looks off or this looks off. So. That's a great album cover. But yeah, it is. Um, the illustration was done by Debbie Hall and this was the only credit she had on Discog. So that's a shame. It's a really nice uh, nice drawing. Um, the design of the cover was by Maxie Chan, and I don't. And she, she, maybe she uh, did uh, covers for Isley Brothers and James Brown. Um, so I don't know what the difference between design and the actual illustration are. Maybe maybe she ended up laying it out or or giving direction mm-hmm. about it. Uh, but it's a very simple album cover and very very well done. Um, if you open this album up on the gatefold, you're going to see this big crowd here. At a at a concert with a big sign that says "Long Live Rock and Roll," which, which was obviously um, drawn in after the fact. Yeah, and kind of poorly. Yeah, like it looks like somebody was just like um, <laughs> looks like somebody put it there. Like it looks like it's photoshopped in. Right, which it quite obviously is. And do you know the right. story behind this picture? No. So, yeah, the, I, I think one of the things that they kind of missed the boat on on this one. Well, it's, it's just a very strange story behind this picture. So this picture was actually taken at a Rush concert. And <laughs> um, a lot of those people in the 
stand or in the in the crowd there were wearing rush t-shirts which were airbrushed to be just black t-shirts so i see a lot of just plain black t-shirts and then the sign was a a sign about rush that fans had made and then they airbrushed out the rush logo and then put a too dark long live rock and rolls logo on it which it's it does if you look at the rest of the picture there's no darks that are no blacks that are that dark so it really stands out yeah Um, it looks kind of like a bad like font like one of those creepy fonts or whatever Um, like a horror font for halloween or something right so they they took that photo airbrushed it and then reversed it to like that was going to throw everyone off the scent like ooh, we flipped the photo around they'll never catch it uh but here's the original photo um so you see all those rush (laughs) t-shirts and it says rush it says uh plymouth uh plymouth michigan welcomes rush touring north america 1977 i think 1977 okay so why no proud picture from a rainbow concert yeah i mean that's the real unusual part because presumably they could have gotten a picture um we have this kind of you know it's it's a little different because well, why didn't they photograph their own audience? On the first album, they had taken all these live shots of Elf and live shots of Richie with Deep Purple and kind of meshed them together to make it look like this lineup had ever played live. Which that was pretty well done, actually. Which, yeah, which is, I, didn't, I didn't know that until you said right, in that it, episode. And that was fine because it was all legitimately pictures of them. But this one just really raises a lot of questions like about why they would have done it this way. And, um, you know, going back to the mocked up one here you got it here and then boom there's the rush one which looks more like a real photograph because it is so my my guess would be um um that um a lot of times things like this happen for um you know constraints for time or money Mm -hmm. um i remember there was a story about i think it was Ace Frehley's second solo album in the eighties. And right before something like the story goes like right before they were ready to put the album out, they still didn't have an album cover. So they basically went and paid the, the name, I think then was Ace Frehley or Frehley's Comet at that point. And I think that they just, somebody paid like a bunch of money to NASA for a stock photo of outer space and <laughs> made that the album cover. And that <laughs> just kind of became the cover because they're like, shit, we need a cover. And my guess is that they were like, oh, we need, you know, we, we have to get this album out. We don't, we didn't take a picture of our own crowd. So they just found a random picture. Like maybe they're just like, oh, here's a picture of Rush and we can airbrush this one. So, you know, maybe they just, somebody just did that. Um, you know, it was just out of necessity. Um, which I don't know if it were, if it were better done, that's pretty the only part of the album, uh, art that's I think pretty poor, (laughs) Right, it's, it's, just it's poor in, in quality, and it's also just like, why couldn't they have... Like, was it essential that they had somebody holding a banner that said, Long Live Rock and Roll? Couldn't they have just taken some live... I mean, this this lineup played on stage, so why couldn't they have just taken yeah. some video from on stage, or, or, or video from... Oh, not video, but um, photographs from the on stage, and just used those? It, it, it really makes very little sense. It's, it Well... And, and it seems my, potentially embarrassing you know, that you could be like, oh, yeah, look how happy those fans are. Yeah, they're happy about some other band. They don't. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're happy about Rush, not you. They may also like Rainbow, but that would just be a coincidence. But I mean, to my other point is, is that it probably 
maybe they, you know, didn't have enough time or maybe nobody took any pictures or maybe all the pictures of the audience didn't have people holding up a banner or who knows. Um, that would be just my best guess. So apparently uh, in Martin Popoff's book, Sensitive to Light, he says that Getty Lee flipped his lid when he heard about this. <laughs> he wasn't ha- he wasn't happy. I don't I don't blame him to just feel like yeah. take, taking this. This this crowd is obviously very happy to be seeing Rush. And they've all got front row tickets, obviously. So the, why why wouldn't they be? But um, I, I could see how you know it, it misrepresents a lot of things. So mm-hmm. and very interesting. Um, the sleeve for the record itself has a breakdown of the lyrics. You get side one, and side two, and then the back side of the album is pretty understated. Just on the basically just on the right half of the album has a track listing. Um, a breakdown of who played on the album and it only lists Daisley and Stone um, and then it lists uh, the string playing on, on some of the songs um, and you got this review uh, or not review I'm sorry but a, uh, an ad for when the album was coming out they're, shou- they're shouting long live rock and roll all over the world and got this one right here which shows the, the that same crowd we were just talking about with the long live rock and roll Long live rock and roll. Long live Rocky Road. I'm got too much Weird <laughs> Al on the mind. <laughs> um, and then it says it looks like some tour dates there, starting with Memphis, Tennessee in May. So there you have it. There's the album art. And again, one of uh, you know, if we we're rating album covers, I'd, I'd rate that one pretty highly. I think it's. Uh, I think yeah, and I, I kind of like the parchment kind of look of the mm-hmm. background. Uh, which I you know, I noticed the most when you showed the back album cover. It just looks very, yep. I don't know. There's something about Rainbow. It's very you know medieval ish. You know with their um, you know even though the first two album covers were pretty colorful, this one seems to fit in. Yeah, um, yeah. If it, if it's but, with that style and this one, yeah. yeah. And then obviously they're gonna break both musically and visually. Gonna break with all that after this album. But I mean, my, you know, for for my money, my um, my their best album cover is still rising. That's a that's a hard one to beat. Yeah. OK, so that's it. That's the album art. And it's time to get into those tracks, starting with the first track on side one, obviously. The self-titled Long Live Rock and Roll. Just starts off with that machine gun snare drum. Classic Richie riff. Yeah, is that jumping around on the octave there? Yep. Did you say who produced the album? I didn't, but it was the Wasp. I figured. I don't. How many? How many albums have we heard lately that weren't produced by Martin Birch or Roger Glover? <laughs> I care. We have to go back pretty far to find one. Even when we did the Dream Theater one, it was like it was still mixed by Roger Glover. <laughs> Got a really great like groove bottom end. 
yeah, this, on this, like the, the bass and the drums, just really heavy. Blackmore is playing bass on this with Carrie. Oh, I was going to say, is it him? With Carrie on keys, yep. And they released this one as a single with um, Sensitive to Light as the B-side, and it made it to number 33 in the UK charts. Definitely very... All the hallmarks of a composed Blackmore solo going into something a little more improv. A great solo by Richie. Yeah. Real barn burner to open the album with. Mm. And Richie said he um, he came up with the riff and he started to sing "Long Live Rock and Roll" because it fit with the riff. And he said, "Ronnie, you can here was what I have, but you come up with something better." And Ronnie said, "Oh, I like that." And then Richie said he felt very proud because this is like one of the first full lines of lyrics he ever wrote because he wasn't much of a lyric guy. So he was very proud that his lyrics were there. And he said, Blackbar said basically he never rejected anything as far as lyrics because he doesn't care and he doesn't listen to them. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, a Smooth Dancer was uh, <laughs> yes. proof for that one. <laughs> if you needed any more proof. Yeah, you're talking about the machine gun drums there. Good drums by Cozy. Nice fills in here. And great vocals by Ronnie, of course. What else? Goes without saying. I love those like kind of unison things they're doing with the drums to, to break it up a little bit. Yeah. I think little things like that are the difference between if you gave a song like this to just any old musicians or just really exceptional ones. Mm-hmm. Because those are those little things that, I mean, I've, we've been hearing them for years, but now talking about them, you're just kind of like, yeah, of course, Cozy Powell would do that, or Richie would play that kind of solo, or, um, you know, just your average garage band probably wouldn't have been able to think of that. Well, it's an interesting um, departure to start. Like, I always thought it was weird that this song and this album kind of, well, the song itself sounds very rainbow like mm -hmm. the concept of a song is kind of like the um, do you close your eyes? It just doesn't seem like it jived with this medieval fantasy world. They're kind of create trying to create. And this is kind of yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. This album is kind of where I think you start to see some of that stuff break down a little bit. Long live rock and roll is again another thing where it's it was a weird to me to be 
the title of this album and to have a song called long live rock and roll when you're you've been talking about wizards and 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 dragons and all that sort of stuff and then to just be like long live rock and roll yeah it's it's almost kind of like um too too basic of a title or like an idea for a band like this like you would think that you know this this album would be called like you know the gates of babylon or kill the king or something like that yeah (laughs) yeah you could have named it either of those and that would have been a a much more fitting name yeah. name for this for this album but, but you I know mean, for, you know 40 something odd years later it doesn't seem that no weird it's 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 so. i wouldn't even say it's a critique it's just kind of a, an observation about you know where was the direction of the band going at that point but yeah well, which it was i mean based on what you were saying how they recorded it too it didn't sound like it was too cohesive mm-hmm. so all right so what do you give long live rock and roll? I give this classic a four. Mm. I think like you said, barn burner, strong opener. Um, great song. All right, I too will give it a four. Very strong. Can't really say uh, anything bad about it. It's very, very strong. And like, like I said about the lyrics being kind of weird and rich even acknowledged that, well, you know, a lot of times you just be like, well, I just throw that line in there and we'll we'll fix it later. And then you sing it a few times and you get used to it and you say, ah, it's fine. We'll leave it. Um, <laughs> plenty of songs like that, like that line that they have in Hey Jude by the Beatles, where he's like he put like he says, like the movement you need is on your shoulder. And he's and he's like playing it for John Lennon. And he's like, yeah, I just put that in there because I didn't know what I was going to do. It doesn't make any sense. And John Lennon was like, no, keep it in. It's great. And He's like, what? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think there's a lot of a lot of stories like that. And I, mm-hmm. I always like lyrics like that, too, where it's not immediately obvious what it means or is supposed to mean. And you can put your own interpretation into it. I think that's the best thing about rock music is when you hear a lot of these stories after the fact um, about, oh, what are these lyrics supposed to mean? And the story is like, oh, we're just goofing around. And we're like, we said, keep it, or it doesn't mean anything. Or I was just looked out the window and saw a dog and thought, <laughs> you know, and, and it's just like, I don't know, all those years of mystique or not knowing about it just kind of made it even cooler. And then you just hear that it, you know, basically inspiration just comes from the weirdest places. Who even knows? Right. All right, the next song, we're going to go visit the Lady of the Lake. Feel like this kind of has kind of a creepy vibe to it yeah a little more like classic rainbow even though this is still technically classic rainbow but yeah more of a typical rainbow song and then a really nice melodic chorus Listen to Blackboard's slide guitar behind that. You bump up the volume just a bit. There we go. Yeah, 
It sound there's apparently no background vocals on this song. It just is like the slide guitar that sounds like with this reverb on it that sounds like background vocals. Hmm. This is Blackmore on bass and carry on keys again. I really like the solo. It's classic Richie, but it's got this different kind of like a sound effect on it. It almost sounds like the, the Stormbringer solo. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Like messing around with whatever Phrygian dominant scale or whatever he was using at that point. You know, you said that Richie played the bass in this. I could kind of hear it from the first track. It kind of has this kind of like really big grinding sound to it. Yep. Be interested to see if I can tell the difference on another track he's not playing bass on. So you tell me that's not Ronnie doubling his vocals. Yeah, I think he's he's doubling his vocals, but that other stuff that like more atmospheric stuff you hear. You would think it was people going, ah, but it's. Oh, no, I could I could tell that that's a, a keyboard or something. And it's more in the verse, like. The verse before the solo and the verse after yeah. the solo are like are like that. No, yeah, yeah. Where it I, sounds I like it, it could be mistaken for background vocals. Oh yeah, I think uh, a lot of times when when you're not really paying attention uh, to that kind of uh, those kind of uh, background uh, uh, effects that they add, um, is it a is it a guitar? Is it a keyboard? Whatever. Until you really start listening to it, but it still fills out the song and you know, kind of gives it a little bit, a little bit more. Yep. Yep. All right. Lady of the Lake. What do you think about the lady of the lake? Kind of lady Um, is she? This lady. Um, (laughs) I'm trying to think of something funny to say, but I, I lost it. I don't have it. It's late. Oh, well. Oh, well. Um, But no, lady of the lake. Um, I think it's another strong one. I give it a I give it a four all around. I enjoy it. I am uh, thinking the same thing. I really for this song, I think it's all about the production uh, th- mm. that like the, the subtleties of what they're doing with that slide guitar in the background. Mm-hmm. And I love the you know, they start off with like just kind of a simple verse. And then in the second verse, they bring in that slide thing. They do that cool slide solo. And then the third verse they bring that slide back in over the in the background. And I love when they, they just kind of keep mixing it up like that it's not the same like a cut and paste a b a b c um and it really uh works well all right la connection all right i need to change i need to uh fix these numbers here there we go next track up is la connection i always thought that was a weird title for a song 
There's an interesting story behind it. Now I'm going to guess this is not Richie on bass. Uh, this one is Blackmore on bass. It is? Yep. Well, that's the end of me. <laughs> <laughs> you just got eliminated. That riff is very, like, almost Zeppelin sounding to me. Yeah, good call. This doesn't sound like anything I can really think of Richie playing previous to this. You know, it's funny right now because the the rhythm section of Cozy Powell and Richie Blackmore on bass is is actually very distinctive. It's it's just very heavy. Mm -hmm. It's really making the album so far. Love that part. So really, that was Richie like doing guitar and bass like himself. Yep. Like that. And it's great to hear someone of Richie's skill to just be so disciplined and playing for the song on bass and not trying to be a show off. Because I've heard a lot of good guitar players play bass and then they're just playing the bass like they're playing lead guitar and it's. And it doesn't True. work, but this here, it works really well. This was uh, apparently released as a single as well. It made it to number 40 with Lady of the Lake as the B-side. You know, so far, Richie is doing these really kind of really slow, melodic kind of solos. He's not really letting it rip. A lot, of, sl a lot of slides so far, too. Yeah, he's just being really laid back. Bob Daisley decided this uh, des uh, described this song as Rainbow trying to be bad company. <laughs> and I don't know enough about bad company to know how accurate that is. <laughs> well, I mean, anything that Ronnie puts his stamp on, it's hard to hear it as anything else. Yeah. So. And one thing I'm noticing now, too, is you can hear like Ronnie's voice is getting closer to the Ronnie that we've come to know like more metal, like in a few years when he was in Sabbath and then Dio. Mm -hmm. You can hear his voice is getting like grittier, getting a little more metal in, in spots. You hear this piano coming in here? Yeah. That's uh, the first appearance of Stone on, on the album. Love that piano there. Yeah, it kind of brings you back to the to the early rainbow or even like pre-rainbow, the elf days. Yep. Which in, like, which in smaller doses is very, very good. But in a different way, it doesn't really sound honky-tonk or anything. No. 
overly honky tonk. <laughs> overly honky. It's very good. Uh, it's just very good flavor that it's adding at the end here. Like Ronnie, Woo! he's just having a he's having a grand old time. Sounds like he wonders, like, have they are they going to have faded it out by now? Who knows? I'll just keep going. <laughs> Woo! Woo! <laughs> so apparently, this song was written about Tony Carey leaving the band, and um. Actually, another terrible story. Uh, so Tony Carey left the band and then he had to they had to basically beg him to come back and do session work on the album, which obviously seems really weird. You fire somebody and like, oh, but could you come back and uh, do some session work for us? Um, please, please. We couldn't find anybody better. Please. <laughs> the hell did you fire me? Um <laughs> So Tony leaves and he goes to the airport to fly home, making a connection in L.A., I guess. I don't know exactly how that works into it, but apparently an anonymous tip was called to the airlines that someone named Tony Carey was about to book a plane uh, to get on a plane and he had a kilo of cocaine on him. So sounds uh, like Richie the prankster <laughs> to me. Well, I guess we'll never know. But um, so he was detained. <laughs> And at the airport for many, many hours before he was allowed to fly when they realized he did not, in fact, have a kilo of cocaine. Although I'm surprised he didn't have some cocaine on him. It was the late 70s. Uh, but, yeah, another one of their hilarious pranks, uh, we could assume. I don't I don't know. I'm, I'm reading into that a little bit because we don't actually know. But if you know, if you're going to set somebody's bed on fire while they're in it, why not call a, you know, a, an anonymous tip to an airport? Yeah, yeah, it sounds like the the work of our old friend Richie Prankmore. <laughs> Richie Prankmore. <laughs> Richie should prank less. <laughs> um, mm. So yeah, so that's uh, that's the little bit of the story behind L.A. Connection. Mm. All right, so what do you rank L.A. Connection? Well, let me see. Um. So um. I like it, but I'm going to give it a 3.5 just because uh, to me, it's a, a little, little bit more of a, um, it's a good, it's a good song, but I feel like it's average, almost bordering on like filler. Um, I don't, I, there's nothing really kind of outstanding about it. And like we always say, the the worst song on a rainbow album is still really good. So, mm -hmm. but that's, that's how I feel. Yeah. Um, once again, we're kind of locking up here on these. Um, I also think a 3.5. I think it's it's good. It's a rock. I, I think the piano at the end really I don't want to say saves it because it's not a bad song, but it really that's probably my favorite part of it is that little outro. But the outro is a little too long. And the song at five minutes, like it's that's another song that could have been three and a half minutes easily. Uh, yeah. And it's a, the very down tempo and um yeah, I, it's a really good song, but it's the closest we've seen to filler on this album. So, all right, next track, a legendary rainbow track, and that is the Gates of Babylon. End side one. Now, who do we have on keyboards here? For Gates of Babylon, we have on keys. Stone. This is his first full song on keys. And bass? Bass is Daisley. Okay. 
So that could. No, classic, probably classic rainbow trick of starting off with this Mm. seemingly improvised keyboard solo. I was going to say this could probably account for why this is one of the outstanding tracks on the album. Like it has the another classic lineup of rainbow on it. Listen to that. So good. It's like no other song sounds like this. I mean, it sounds like a blueprint for like a lot of 80s metal. It's like creepy and spooky and haunting and frantic. And it was inspired by a seance, of course. great keyboards right here on this part love how they layer that effect in there so you know this is this is like a composition it's almost got a proggy feel to it surprisingly yeah i mean this song i put up there with like one of the songs on rising oh sure it's got that same kind of epic quality to it a really cool synth part yeah Another classic Richie solo doesn't sound as composed. It sounds like he's kind of going off a little bit. Yeah, it sounds like he's improving a little bit. This breakdown here is magnificent.
you come out of that like flange like you're coming out of a fog or something yeah yeah the way they came out of that whole part was fantastic and apparently david stone says he and martin birch wrote that middle part song yeah it's a that's a tell you close the side of an album for sure weird coming after la connection <laughs> yeah it's just yeah. A, such a weird kind of jumping around sort of thing but um th- they say that the, i've heard a number of people describe that song as zeppelin-esque and there's a couple of parts in it where i can sort of almost hear shadows of like cashmere or something but for the most part i'm not really i don't know maybe i'm just not hearing it uh, to me, it sounds very rainbow. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, the, to me, very like original rainbow. I mean, if yeah, I mean, you could take any part of any song and say that it sounds like something. I mean, maybe it does a little bit. Um, but I'd be I'd be hard pressed to say that it was a Zeppelin ripoff or Zeppelin inspired oh, no, no. or anything. It's its own song. I mean, you've heard uh, many people say that this this song has been an inspiration. Yeah. Oh yeah. This, if people are putting together their top rainbow tracks, this is always the top, if not one of the top, this and stargazer probably always fighting for, for number one. And, um, especially like the, uh, neoclassical metal guys and like Yngwie and people mm-hmm. after that. Although Yngwie would never admit it now, but <laughs> back then he would. Now he claims that Richie Blackmore had no influence on him. Uh, but yeah, it's a great, it's, it's, it's great. Richie uh, said in an interview with guitar player magazine in 1978, that that was the best solo he'd ever done uh, or his favorite anyway. So, um, well, I, you know, I think it was great. I mean, one of the things that I noticed about it was, is like, you could tell it was not one of his planned out or composed solos, but it was very, like he put all of himself into it. Like you could tell it was really just a classic Richie solo or improv or whatever he worked out in the studio yep it was really good interestingly they didn't 
play this song live. Oh, what a shame. I know, right? So uh, there's uh, Dio ended up playing it live. But uh, mm. yeah, and they, I think they might have done like part of a uh, one of their medleys or something with it at some point. I'm, yeah, I'm sure that I've heard him play it before. But Richie, uh, Richie said, and it might have been something like, I think they did Stargazer a few times live. And then Richie was like, no, we can't do this live because it doesn't sound right. And it, I think he felt the same way with this, with the strings and everything, that it was something mm. they couldn't really capture the same feeling live. Although I, I got to admit, I was I was mostly almost towards the end of the song before I remembered. Oh, yeah, there's supposed to be strings in the song like they were they if they were there, they blended so far into the background. I mean, obviously, in the ending, they take over and it's a an outro of the strings but for the most part they were serving the song really well they didn't stand out at all oh yeah made for a really unique composition like the the when the when um after the the synth intro um and the band kicks in it's like you you don't know what it is but it's every you know all the music blends together and you don't hear like a guitar, a bass, a keyboard, or you just hear everything. It just all just kind of blends together into this perfect mix. That's why yep. I think the song's so unique. All right. What are you going to give the song? Five. Hey, oh. Hi, oh. Cha-ching. Sound the bell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, crowd, the crowd's going wild. <laughs> the, the crowd. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, obviously I'm going to give this a five. Uh, I'm, this might sound like I'm jumping on the bandwagon of like, Oh, it's influential. Uh, but I mean, it's always been one of my favorite rainbow songs. And I mean, for good reason, like I knew that I loved this song before I read or heard about other people being like, Oh, it's so good. It's so good. So, I mean, sometimes you just know, I mean, and there's a reason it's a classic or uh, in their catalog. So I think it's deserving of that. It could it definitely has a different vibe than everything that's on Rising, but it's on mm-hmm. par with. Oh yeah, it could have gone on Rising. It wouldn't be out of place on Rising <clears throat> at all. <clears throat> um, I'm gonna upset some people and give this one a four point five. I really, obviously, really love it. I think it's a great song, but much like the same way I gave Stargazer a four point five, like uh, people are like, "What the hell is wrong with you?" <laughs> If I, if I had pearls, I'd be clutching them right now. I know. And I'm not doing it to be difficult. <laughs> and obviously a 4.5 is damn good. Uh, I love the song. There's just something about it. doesn't quite kick it into five for me. But I, I mean, it's probably my favorite song on the album. I guess we'll see after we get through the second side. But um, it's, it's great. It's very well done. Well composed. Great solos. Great little interludes in the, in the middle there. I love it. Um, and David Stone, like I said, wrote that middle part. Well, he says he wrote that middle part with Birch and that um, Bruce Payne management said that he would um, he'd get a publishing credit on the song. But then at the end of the day, he was just like, yeah, here's a check. It's too much paperwork. <laughs> so which to me sounds like eh, we don't want you to make too much money off of this. Here's here's a one time check. Um, so I, I don't know how the legality of any of that works, but um, obviously they Felt like they owed him something. I'm sure he had to sign something to get that check too. So there you go. Um, okay. And that was the last track to be finished for the album. Um, would have been a good album closer as well. All right. Mm. Now we're going to flip this disc over. It's this platter on the, on the turntable and go right into kill the king. 
Now that's a classic rainbow title if I've ever heard one. Oh yeah. Great set opener. Yeah. Great drums by Cozy. This is a song where I feel like I've heard the live version a lot more than this version. Yeah, but this one's really like fast paced. Classic, uh, classic Richie, classic Rainbow. I always visualize Dio doing this live when I hear it. I can just see his hand gestures. and Yeah, I feel like I've heard the live a lot more than this studio version, too. And this is a song they've been doing live for a while. And, and Tony Carey says they, they, had, they had this song by the end of the Rising Sessions, but it came in too late to be included on that album. But it has that same driving feel like it would have worked well on the second side. Yeah, that deal goes in that devour. <laughs> See, he got a, he's getting a little more demonic and he doesn't even know it. This song also has stone on keys. But not black bar and bass. Really melodic going into the solo. Yeah, I love it. You were telling about talking about how he's understated on those solos. <laughs> yeah, well, this is where he first kicks it into high gear, which is an understatement. I'm gonna throw in a couple of sweeps. <laughs> he's just pulling out all the stops for this one. And then classic Damn. Richie melodic section to like break out of the solo. Another kind of highway star thing. Yep. <laughs> but I'm not hating it. I think they modulate up a little bit on this one. It's like, hey, Ronnie, can you sing a little higher? Sure. <laughs> we'll do it in the middle of the song. Sure, I can do it. And then here, how he goes up here, um, Ronnie. Yeah. 
Very violent subject matter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> here's, here's all the ways we can kill him. Jesus what a Christ. way to end a song, too. <laughs> <laughs> See, no, that's that's the kind of ending that it's like when um um what was it? Um Light in the Black ended. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of kind of like really grand ending where they're just like high energy and then they just like that one-two punch and then it's like over. And you're just like, and then you're like, oh, like you just got I off know, a geez. roller coaster or something. You're almost you're almost glad it's over because you couldn't take any more of it. It's just like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> It's, 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 another, it's like, I'm so glad it's over. Let's do it again. <laughs> but that's another song that um, that lends itself really great to being like in the in the live set, um, mm-hmm. especially that kind of ending was made ba- was made for like being live. And yeah. like the, the solo. Um, yeah. As great as a, as great an opener as it is, it would be a great closer, too. That's true. Yeah. That ending just kicks your ass. Mm. So, yeah, that's another uh, that's another five for me. I'm giving back to back fives here. Mm. I mean, um, yeah, <laughs> it's it's just a great all around song. It's it's just, yeah, <laughs> that's another one that I I would rank up there with um, something that could be on Rising. Yeah, for sure. Oof, I'm agonizing over this one. I'm having a really hard time. And I usually uh usually I've got a pretty good idea by the time I get to the end of the song, but you know what? I'm gonna give it a five two just for how much it kicks my ass at the end. It's just uh <laughs> and you know, it was really honestly only a choice between a four point five and a five. I was gonna um, be like, what is there to think about? <laughs> If give it a five, I know if we had a 4.95 in our rankings, maybe I'd give it that, but no, it's gotta, no. I mean, it's, it's gotta be rounded up to a five. It's just so strong. And it, you know, if we start doing all that business, then forget it. And it's, it's four, one of those point seven eight. Yeah, exactly. So it's Skinnerd reconsidered. It's like 4.97 Skinnerds. Um, but <laughs> I think with K- kill the King, mm-hmm. if you had to, have if somebody asked me what's what's a good song to listen to 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 see what rainbow's all about i might mm. have to go with that one yeah that, that, i mean you got all the as good as like stargazer and light in the black and all that and gates of babylon are i feel like kill the king is more of like a, a little more compact it's a little more compact it gets the point across without you know you you might you might turn some people away by the length and the kind of grandiose nature of some of those other songs whereas this one would be like you want a quick how long is this song uh it's uh four minutes and 30 seconds so not super yeah. short but if you want a, an average oh, length a yeah. quick snippet of what it's like going to be like to be listening to rainbow that's a really good especially this era of rainbow good yeah. a good introduction I mean, yeah well-written, high energy, um, great vocals by Ronnie, classic Richie solo where he pulls out like all the tricks. He's mm-hmm. doing his trem picking. He's doing his sweeps. He's doing a couple of melodic bends. Is he's, that the first time we've heard him do sweeps on an album since the Deep Purple album? <laughs> no, because there was there was another place where he did them. It might have been another Rainbow album where you, where you were just like, whoa, 
I haven't heard that since the Deep Purple. No, so he maybe. did it somewhere else in there, but he's very, very sparing with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he does like he does like one sweep across, uh, like up and down the fretboard every decade. He's <laughs> just like, oh, it's my turn. Yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't like. Yeah, he doesn't. When you think about all these shredders that y- you hear and people that can do sweep arpeggios so clean and so perfectly and why everyone's so bored with sweep arpeggios that, you know, they'll do them again and again and again and up and down the fretboard. And after about 10 seconds, I, I'm, I start to lose interest and he, he puts in, he, he's so good at crafting a solo to make it be interesting, do a lot of the cliched things that a shredder would do, but he always makes it sound. He always plays it with so much passion. That's what I've always loved about his playing. Well, it's different too. Like if you hear how he does sweep arpeggios, like there's something about when he did it in the middle of this solo, it took me back to the, the deep purple album, like uh, almost uh, 10 years earlier Mm -hmm. or whenever it was um, eight, 10 years earlier. Like it was like that same, same tone, same feel, just the way that he plays it. It's not just another um, learned, mm-hmm. learned musician just uh, going through the scale and doing it. Like he has a certain way of doing it where you're like, yep, that's Richie. Yeah. Um, whereas, um, you know, and that's, of course, not to take away from anybody that is good enough to play like that, because I certainly am not. No, no. My sweet arpeggios um, are lacking. <laughs> But my guess is that if if you and I were to be able to play them, they would probably sound, for lack of a better word, generic. Um, whereas, like, <laughs> I would be happy if they sounded generic. <laughs> I think they would sound like a sloppy mess. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if we were able to, you know what I mean? It's yeah, just yeah. like he, like... Uh, but it's I mean, just like running up and down a scale. So many guitar players just run up and down scales as fast as they can, and... It's a it, right. He's it's from a technical a, standpoint impressive. It's just not a lot of fun to listen to after about a yeah. minute. I mean, he has a really definitive uh, style and and sound and way of playing, and and possibly the only person we can mistake uh, for Richie is um, Albert Lee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's oddly, oddly, one person, one person out of a like a million that we've heard. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, and you can definitely when you hear Ying Wei play, you can hear the Richie influence, especially in the early stuff, but it's only, mm-hmm. you hear it in like flashes. It's not like you, you hear a whole guitar solo and think, Oh, that's so Richie, but you can hear the influence there despite what Ingway says. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, yeah, I mean, so, I, yeah. So anyway, so kill the King was written by Blackmore Dio and Powell up until this point, everything was mm-hmm. written by Blackmore and Dio. And then the next track also is, um, Blackmore, Dio, and Powell. Those will be the only two Powell credits. Everything else on the album is Blackmore, Dio. So, mm. so with that, we're moving on to the next, The Shed, Subtle. Never understood that. Sounds I like, always loved the Richie solo at the beginning of this. Like the beginning of Mistreated so far. Doesn't sound like he's being very subtle to me. <laughs> no. 
The fact that you put subtle in parentheses on a song title is very, it always struck me as funny. <laughs> Just so you know, this is subtle. A little little winged vibe right there. And according to my reading, the subtle is supposed to refer to the guitar intro. <laughs> Love how that kicks in. Blackmore and bass again. Really? I think one thing. Well, we heard it when we heard that bass jam that Blackmore did way, way back with in the Deep Purple days. But he's a damn good bass player. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, one of the things that I always loved about this song was like the bottom end. And apparently I love most of this album because of Richie's bass playing, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> You're talking about that melodic. What other song? Were you t- the Lady of the Lake, the melody. This is just so melodic mm-hmm. here. Apparently, Street Walkin' was the original title of this song. You don't say. <laughs> Which makes a hell of a lot more sense than The Shed. What the hell is The Shed? Uh, well, appar- walk into a shed? <laughs> Apparently, um, Chelsea, the, in the Chelsea football stadium, there's an area behind the goal known as The Shed, where all the violent people tend to tended to be. And I guess walking mm. through there, you could, there's a, there was a lot of, uh, fights and things that would break out back there. So Dio did that as the title as kind of a joke because that was Blackmore's favorite football team. I will await all of the corrections from our UK listeners about how I got all the specifics of that wrong. And because we didn't already have a guitar solo, here's another one. (laughs) Start off with a minute long guitar solo. Really cool panning on that guitar solo. Let's not forget Dio, too. He's got a really ferocious vocal approach here during the uh, verses. (laughs) No way.
<laughs> little splash I, symbol at the end. I saw you smiling about thirty seconds before that because I were you were you were you like waiting for that? Um, not I necessarily, you, but I do enjoy it. <laughs> I like I saw your face in anticipation of it. I'm like, I wonder if Nate's just waiting for that little. It's <laughs> great. Which I always thought was kind of a. A uh, whimsical way to end this song. <laughs> For such a heavy song, there's a <laughs> hidden this little five inch splash symbol. <laughs> uh, oh, shoot. That was great. Yeah. Um, so that one's, uh, yeah, that one is really, I always really loved that. So that's one of those songs where um, there are parts of it I don't like as much as the other ones, but I really enjoy it because it's just got this really driving, mm-hmm. like heavy dun, beat to dun, it. Dun, dun, dun. It's yeah, yeah. they've yeah, it's it's really heavy. It's very heavy and I again apologize. I'm sure I got all the specifics of I in case you don't know, I know nothing about uh about about what we in the States would call soccer and what the rest of the world calls football. Um so I probably got some of this some of the some of that wrong, but I really mm-hmm. like the melody in the chorus. I think it's really uh, that. That's kind of a highlight for me. All right, what do you rank the shed subtle, which definitely probably should have been called Streetwalker, <laughs> or the shed obvious? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just don't don't um, put don't put it in parentheses. Maybe it's subtle because it's in parentheses. If just the shed obvious, all in caps. <laughs> <laughs> Caps lock on <laughs> the shed. Obvious. Um, well, it's definitely again, not obvious why it's called the shed. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, I give it. Uh, I give it a four. Mm-hmm. Um, just I, I probably. Um, I don't know. I guess like um, I like in another realm or whatever. I probably would have given it three point five, but a four because I just really just love the driving beat and the production of it and the bass really before I knew it was Richie um, always kind of grabbed me the way it just kind of like, just kind of drove the song, you know, almost like it just kept like, you know, just punching, you know? So. I will also give it a four. I really like it. And for me, the, I like the driving nature of it, but I do really like the melody of the chorus. Probably my and the splash symbol at the end. Is and really the splash cool. symbol. It would have gotten a two if it wasn't for that splash symbol at the end. Really, the, the icing on the cake for the whimsy at the end of the song. Yeah, it carried the carried the whole song. They should end the whole Straight album with that. <laughs> just a, like a hidden a hidden track of just a splash symbol after <laughs> for seven minutes of silence. Okay, next up we have the second to last song on side B, and that is "Sensitive to Light." Has a very familiar classic rainbow groove. Yep. Kind of reminds you a little bit of the first rainbow album. Not this part, but the uh, kind of the groove during the verse. Later. This to me sounds like the most Mark Three song so far on the album. 
Actually, yeah, it sounds like something off Stormbringer. There's one song in particular, I just can't think of it while this is playing. Oh, highball shooter. Highball shooter? Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of vibes in here that make me think of, like, the first Rainbow album or, like, him just getting out of purple. Yeah, that's definitely highball shooter, yeah. yeah. Can't forget your sweet face. Oh, I can't forget your face. <laughs> so I just keep hearing that in the back of my head. Lighter. <laughs> I like that. Lighter. Can James Hetfield get that from Dio? What a great rocker, though. It's it's such a. Like almost cliched sort of arrangement, and it's one of those it's one of those things that I think Mark three did so well, which is something that could have been that throwaway blues song, uh, that filler blues song, but just ends mm -hmm. up being done so well that you forget that that's what it is. Yeah, like this is definitely. Uh, definitely got like uh, when you mentioned it, Stormbringer vibes and like early Rainbow, <laughs> early like a year earlier, <laughs> yep. or like first first album Rainbow vibe, like very kind of early Richie vibes. You get um, the feeling with Rainbow, there was a lot of songs that he brought to Mark Three that he maybe didn't like the direction of or, or ideas maybe that he brought to Mark three that he didn't like the direction of. So he's trying to make up for it with rainbow. We've heard mm -hmm. that time and again with these three albums. And this to me is like, eh, I was never crazy with the idea for highball shooter. Let's do it again. My way. This is how I would have done it in Mark three. And that's what this song sounds like to me. And honestly, highball shooter is not one of my favorite Mark three songs. So I'm, I might even, I don't remember what I ranked that, but I might give this one a higher one. Hmm. Um, well, I wasn't ex I honestly wasn't expecting to like this as much as I did, because this is, of course, another album that I haven't listened to in a while, because now I'm on that train of not listening to the album before we do the episodes. <laughs> yeah, so we're we like before before we're like cram and like, let's try to listen to the album five times before the episode. And now we're like, let's purposefully not listen to it for an entire year so we can <laughs> revisit it. Although I have I've actually heard this one fairly recently. So, yeah, but um, I give this a four because I really 
I, I was pleasantly surprised and uh, how much I enjoyed it. I uh, just has a lot of good elements in it that I like. I agree as well. And it's got to be a good song because Martin Popoff wrote his book called his book Sensitive to Light, The Rainbow Story. And I'm not obviously not getting paid anything by Martin Popoff. He doesn't have a uh, animals kind of money like <laughs> Jolyn Turner <laughs> to support the show. But this is a great book. If uh, it's an excellent book about rainbow, if you're into rainbow, you need to pick this one up. And look, it's even it's even signed to me. Oh, it's autographed. You probably can't see oh, a little bit. Well, look but at you. Thanks, Martin. Really Your appreciate good it. friend. He, he's, you know, my old friend, Martin. Me and him go way back. We go all the way back to when I ordered this book from him <laughs> and, he, and he sent it to me and he signed <laughs> all the way back to like a year ago, whenever that was. Um, yeah, this is like a revised. He had a book about Rainbow that you might have if you're listening to this. I can't remember what the name of that was and I apologize, but he basically redid it as sensitive to light, added a bunch more like pictures. Mm. I think he said there's like, I don't know, 20,000 more words in it. So it's like an expanded version of his previous rainbow book. So if you have that one, uh, if you loved it, I would say pick this one up as uh, to get some mo even more information. And there's so many great quotes in it from interviews he's done with all the various members of rainbow. So really cool stuff. Nice. Sensitive to light. Ah. All right. <laughs> And to close out the album, you know, we're gonna bring down the house a little bit. Get get your lighters out, folks. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna close it out. A little track called Rainbow Eyes. Another Hendrix sort of influence there. Not Hendrix like at all. No, just like just like catch the rainbow. No Hendrix to be found. He's been gone since yesterday. Oh, I didn't care. Never cared for yesterday. And you'll like this, John, because Blackmore's back on the bass for this final track. Hmm. Jeez, he did did more bass than anybody on this. And um, the lyrics were written by Dio about his wife Wendy. And he said her eyes seemed to change color when you looked at them in different directions. Geez, what a unbelievable, like poetic guy he was. Now he's double tracking his vocals. I got something to tell you that Richie said about this. That's going to definitely get you really mad. You want to wait till later? Or <laughs> Maybe I'll wait till the song's over. <laughs> you want to drop the bomb now? I'll wait till the song's over because you'll just be complaining through the rest of the song. <laughs> Baby, 
I mean, uh, Dio's voice in this is just beautiful. Yeah. And we've heard him do this style so many times and he does it so well. As It's not what he's known for, but... He should be. Yeah, he can do it better than anybody. And I mean, at first you feel like it's just him and Richie in a room with just like an amp and him singing and they they layer in like the flute mm-hmm. and the other, you know, instruments and it, it just makes for like an unbelievably great composition. And when you think of it as the last song on a Rainbow album with Dio, it, it feels more important. Kind of point. I was going to say poignant. Yeah, well, a better way of saying it. So it's a that's an edu- educated way of saying important. <laughs> and I love how he hits that little kind of like almost off note. I mean, he obviously does it on purpose, but it he doesn't go to the obvious place that you would with the chord. I always thought it'd be interesting if he had done this on um, on an acoustic. It's unusual that he didn't. Yeah, it was it was kind of a it's a cool choice, though, that he did it on, you know, uh, electric. But. But I mean, it does give it that kind of atmosphere, like you almost hear like the amp in the room type of sound, which is very cool. Mm hmm. And then you hear a solo like that. You hear this song and then you think about the next Rainbow album or the next couple that came out. They could have been any more different direction than this. Yeah, yeah, totally. The orchestrations are extremely well done on this. Oh, yeah. It's a great thing about Rainbow, Deep Purple, um, any of the bands associated with them is when they when they were doing stuff like this, they they did it right. Oh, yeah. They I think they aligned themselves with a lot of talented musicians from other genres too not just other guitar players but like rock and roll players like you know i feel like they were aligned themselves with a lot of good like classical players and musicians as well 
And then, of course, they had the uh, the wasp producing them. And I mean, at that point, he knew from producing these guys so much what would sound best. Right. Uh, what what kind of arrangement would be best, you know, working with them. Um, just made it really consistent. And it's it's funny because like when you hear normally a song start off the way that this one does, you assume there's usually you assume there's going to be a build up and yeah. right from the beginning you almost know with this one like no this is just going to be kind of a really tender heartfelt song yeah it didn't really didn't go into that that realm of like the the drums kicked in and it turned into a yeah i i, I can't see that ballad. and it's funny cuz we we've had this without giving anything about ratings away we've had this happen with songs in fact we had it happen in our last episode with the James Gang album where we had a song similar to this where we felt like it didn't ever go anywhere. And I th I think you could make that case about this song. Like it doesn't ever really build or go anywhere, but I don't know about you, but with me, that doesn't bother me in the song at all. And I don't, I can't put my finger yeah. on why, like, it seems like this is the way that song should have been for a, whatever it was, seven minute plus song. Yeah. Like, well, because they, because they, they, they structured it and they layered in a way where it did have a purpose because he did the, um, you know, he, he, they took their time with a couple of verses. He went back to the the opening passage. They went into this really kind of different section with the uh, like a flute solo, mm -hmm. and then you know the outro, uh, the last verse, and everything was just a continuation of the first ones. And then just this kind of like really melodic. It's almost like it's got to be like the the outro could have been shortened, but I mean it was just so hypnotic and such a good you know, melody to it that it's like um, you, you didn't mind it going on for, you know, a couple of extra minutes. No, not so, at all. Oh, yeah. And yeah, no, I feel that way, too. I feel it was very well put together. So what do you so, um, what do you what um, do you rate this song? Um, you know, four, four point five. I was going to give it a four, but four point five just because of everything that I just said. And then of course, Dio's vocals. I mean, and you know, it takes a really talented vocalist, which we don't have to sell anybody on Ronnie. I don't think to no. just be like pretty much alone, like out there without, a, you know, a ton of backing instrumentation or whatever to sound phenomenal. Well, I will also, we're almost a hundred percent in sync on this album. I will also give this one a 4.5. So I, I feel like it's really strong. And it, right. like I said, it has a lot of empirically, a lot of reasons why it shouldn't be ranked as high as it should. And the same complaints we've made about other songs in the past for the same sort of song, but this song just, it just seems to really work. Mm -hmm. You don't, you don't feel yourself thinking like, oh, this isn't going anywhere or like I want it to build towards something or there's so many times, like I said, we've heard a song like this where it's just like, OK, this is great. This is going to be awesome. And then by the end of the song, you're like, oh, man, it just didn't develop the way I'd, I'd hoped. And this one, mm. I felt the opposite. I felt like I hope this just stays where it is and does this does its thing. And it really does it well. 
well, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And this is one of the cases where it did work. So, all right. So here's some, right, now tell me the, here's some tell ba- me the shit that Richie <laughs> talked about it. Some bad news. <laughs> he did not like Dio's vocals on this song. Oh, what is he nuts? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Is he out of his mind? Ugh, he, why? He said that he thought that Ronnie's ballad voice was, and this is his words, not mine, girly. Which is why, um, which is funny because the, the funny thing about it is later he would do this song with Blackmore's Night and have a woman sing it. Which is like, oh, that's too girly. I'll have my wife sing it. Just really <laughs> weird. Um, uh, but yeah, so I, it's it's one of those things like, you know, Richie is very, <laughs> you never know what he's, oh, I hate Ian Gillen. Hey, Ian Gillen, want to join Rainbow? Yeah, I mean, you never know what he's, he's going to. He's very finicky. He's, yeah. he's very fickle. Um, so yeah, yeah well, that was, that was kind of what he said. I heartily disagree with him. No. Or, yeah. And if by, gir- like, you know, and the word girly is a very um, dumb thing to say. So it's like, a, you know, girly. Is it girly to sing like a, a heartfelt song in a, in, a, in a soft register like that? It's like, what does Ryan, R- Ronnie Dio have to prove? Like, oh, I have to sing every song like a manly man. Like, I mean, he can sing a great soft ballad and he can sing a really hard rocking song. He doesn't have anything to prove to anybody. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah, there's there's probably like one Dio vocal that I don't like, and I've yet to find it. So when I when I, I remember that, what that, it is, I'll tell you. But that Christmas song you weren't you weren't crazy about what? I can't remember what it was. It was one of the ones on the Christmas episode. He he did some sort of like it, was, it might have oh, been yeah. like God God rest you merry gentlemen or something. <laughs> yeah, but that's yeah, not really... and you were like you were you were like I never say this, but I don't like his vocals here. Oh, okay. So there we go. There you go. That's the song. <laughs> but it like... wasn't an original. But it wasn't an original like Dio song or something. It was no, uh, no. You know, I mean, you could. There were there were songs that Dio's voice is not suited for. Sure. Um, going back to like things that you've said about him singing the Ozzy Sabbath songs. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't always fit a hundred percent, and that's not his fault. I don't it's even think it's. I don't even think it's his. Voice. His. Um, vocal. It's not like the timbre of his vocals. It's more the rhythm of what he's singing that always struck me. Like he doesn't follow the exact rhythm of how Ozzy sang it, which is what I mean. It doesn't bother me much anymore. But it used to bother me when yeah. I first heard it because I was like, "That's not the rhythm of how it goes." But his actual the sound of his voice is great. Um, the, but I mean, just as an example, like, sure. I mean, yeah. it's it, not even bad. But I mean, it's like if that would bother a Sabbath fan, like if you, you know, if he was going to sing. Um, I think that he sang, there was like an Aerosmith tribute album several years ago and he sang Dream On. Dio did? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I could see him, I could see him nailing that song. And that was actually really good because it was funny because the, I remember the lineup, it was like Dio on vocals, Ingve on guitar and like (laughs) some other, it was like, it was like a mixture of like, you know, random people and you know, they probably like, like Billy Sheehan on bass. It's like overkill on over every category. <laughs> exactly. And it, Neil yeah. Pert on drums. It's like <laughs> slow down everybody. This is just a real simple Aerosmith song. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the, but I mean that, and that was an example of like, you know, I always love that because I'm like, wow, like a great vocalist singing a great Aerosmith song. And then on top of it, you have like this crazy ass, like, classical like metal guitar player on it. It actually worked really well, except, you know, 
obviously none of them were following the original Aerosmith parts, especially Ingve is just like, did not do the Joe Perry parts. No, he just did oh, like, oh no, he didn't. <laughs> no. He's he like, went, let me see on, if I can. Dream on. <laughs> see if I can fit Paganini in here. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, we're getting way off track. So, so well, um, speaking of getting off track, do you, um, um, do we even rate the song? Yeah. yeah, we do. Okay. 4.5. Speaking yes. of getting off track, do you want to hear a minute or so of the uh, Blackmore's Night version of this? Sure. <laughs> Amuse me. I'm already annoyed. <laughs> Definitely different. Yeah. She's been gone since yesterday. Oh, I didn't care. I think it sounds a little girly. <laughs> is it because a girl is singing it? Heck, well, well, she's a woman, let's be fair. That gives you an idea of of what the Black Moon's Night version is. It's it's kind of it's similar to a lot of the Black Moon's Night when they when they redo some of the older songs. You know what it is? Um, just to you know, kind of get off on that tangent for a minute is like I don't really like her voice. No, no. There's there's like there's nothing wrong like there's nothing wrong with it in terms of like. She's not a bad singer, but no, I just she's a great, great singer. She's got a great. There's just something about it, really. Like it, I, I always felt it lacked something. <clears throat> like I think, I don't know, it lacks some kind of depth for me. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. she hits all the notes, and she's she's a really great singer, but it doesn't sound doesn't sound right to me. I don't think. I think that if like on the Blackmore's, <laughs> I know Blackmore's Night, since it was named for him and her like if they had gotten a different singer that would have been unusual i well yeah i mean if they had done like if it were a different type of female singer like i can't really put my finger on it but it never resonated with me like if she had done if she was part of the band in some different capacity like if she played another instrument and he was on guitar and they got another singer then maybe i would like it better but i as soon as i heard that it kind of like clicked for me this is like her voice just isn't strong enough on on um on any of these songs they just like they don't doesn't do it for me i really like her voice on i think sometimes like like they do she does soldier of fortune actually really well i really like Mm -hmm. it on that and on the originals but some of the rainbow songs don't necessarily always translate as well um and i mean i might be unfairly comparing this to to just having heard ronnie sing it who it's just like you know you could have like (laughs) Pavarotti come in and he can sound like garbage to me after Ronnie sings something, you know, and I'd be like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of, but you know, um, but to be fair too, I mean, I haven't given her a chance in terms of hearing like a whole album of stuff, but Mm -hmm. that's one of the first things that just kind of, kind of turns me away a little bit. Yeah. I, to me, it's more the production aspect of it. 
I, I, I've always, Maybe it's that. I've always really loved her voice. I think it's very like angelic and for a lot of the music, it suits it really well. I mean, it could be the production. You're right. It but could the be that production and not necessarily the production on her voice. But and I mm-hmm. think there's some of the vocal. I think what you're maybe keying into is some of the vocal stylings that she does, like the way she delivers the words. I think and I don't I don't, I'm just don't want to put words in your mouth, but it, I think that maybe that might be what you're keying in on. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think I really like, like I said, her voice. But to me, I when I what I was keying in on listening to that was more that the background production and sounding a little I don't even know what the right word is for it. But it doesn't it it sounds a little I don't know tinny almost. I don't I don't I don't know what what it is. It's it's not bad production. It's just something about it's uh, mm-hmm. kind of actually similar to what Blackmore complains about a lot with other guitar players is sounding a little. It sounds almost too clean. Maybe that's what it is. Like it sounds too like crystal clear. And mm-hmm. maybe that's what yeah. it is. And I and I apologize. I'm not putting it together very well but i can't really exactly put my finger on it well i mean neither can i but um i i feel like maybe that's that's part of it it could um, be is that it sounded like too 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 produced you know when mm-hmm. when something's overproduced then that's that when you talk about especially if you're talking about like 80s production you know everybody uses the word slick yeah so, yep and it sounds so slick but in a different way and probably because yeah. it's different music too but all right, so where does that take us for the album rankings? Okay, so looks like our, like you said before, we're almost dead even in the rankings here. Um, I was slightly higher than you um, in rankings because I think I, did I give out two fives and you did not? Yeah, you gave two fives, I gave one. Yeah. So one sort of reluctant one. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm um, almost so, I'm almost regretting now, but what mm, whatever is what it right, is. So this is a total combined rating of eight point four four, which is um just going back a little bit, um higher than North Winds and Clear Air Turbulence. <whistles> yeah, I know, right? Uh we're not gonna count the California jam because as we've already that got a nine, but that was based mostly on performance. Yeah, that was crazy. Um Green Bullfrog, it's a little higher than Green Bullfrog. Um, well, let me see it. Um, it's behind rising, obviously, and uh, white snake. So that that's good. That makes me confident that because if it was better, if we ranked it higher than rising or white snake, I would be like, Oof. all right, what what is life right now? That would throw everything. Just our whole system would. We'd have to just delete delete this whole spreadsheet. But uh, on par with butterfly ball and come taste the band, stormbringer, burn. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's kind of in that, in the ranked a little higher than those actually. Um, yep. but that's the, that's a kind of like area that it's in for rankings. So, um, honestly didn't think that this album would, would rank that high. No, I'm pretty surprised. And, um, honestly, like after hearing all the songs and everything, I know it's a, probably a weird thing to say, but I feel like oddly disconnected from this album. Like I know we gave it like this really high rating, but it's like, it's not really, a go-to for me. Like I would listen to rising more than anything. Um, and I don't really think about this album or I'm not, 
you know what I mean? I never really put anything on from it. I, I don't know. It's, I guess it sounds kind of, sounds kind of funny to say about this, but it's like, um, it doesn't really, doesn't resonate with me as much as the other ones, but there's no doubt that there's great performances on it. Yeah. Like I ranked it ever so slightly higher than clearer turbulence, but to me, clearer turbulence is more of a go-to for me. Right. Way more. And, and I mean, like we've said before, I mean, the, you know, just because we have a, a higher ranking of, you know, this album doesn't mean that you like it better than Clear Air Turbulence, for instance. Right, and our, so rank, our just, ranking numbers. is, yeah, is, is song by song. and it's, Yeah, and it's just numbers, too. I mean, right. um, on, on a given day, like, uh, we could come back and give something, be like, oh, this this is a five. You know, like, tomorrow I could think that, you know, Lady, Lady of the Lake is a five, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and if I had to just think about albums as a whole, I would. There's albums I probably rank higher than this one, but mm-hmm. song by song, there you go. There it is. If you're just looking at mm-hmm. that, yeah. So, wow. Very interesting. Okay. Very last. Very uh, so yeah, last album, last, last rainbow album with Dio. The last we'll be seeing of Dio for a little while until we start to cover Dio's solo albums. But um. Mm-hmm. Looking at the reception for this album, um, not a ton in the way of reviews. Jorg, of course, was um, very great in sending me quite a few little uh, snippets and things. Most of them, if not all of them, were not in English, but uh, from his archives. There's one. uh, This is actually a kind of cool article, if this is the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, this one interestingly ranks uh rainbows long live rock and roll with glenn hughes play me out and david coverdale's north winds because they all kind of came out around the same Mm. time and uh just kind of talks about all of them so it's an interesting interesting article it's funny look at that all three all three albums we've reviewed (laughs) yeah exactly we've covered them all that's cool it says it says coverdale and hughes are clone alike except hughes plays more instruments on play me out did-it-yourself devices which reproduce funky bleeps and whoosh noises. Let me zoom in on this a little bit. From finger symbols through through to food blender, we hear the sound of a zen in LA banana mugga milk zodiac sign soul food. What the hell? Uh. Um... Let us take Hughes and Coverdale albums first. The Collective Enterprise is a spectacle akin to the local home movie circle attempting a Star Wars cash-in. Vocals both wish they were Stevie Wonder or Second Choice. Robert Palmer lyrics interchangeable. The usual hygienic cosmic jet age pap with a lot of riding home to lay my body down in the crystal silence of your obs... Uh, obsquience? Obs... Obsquiescence. Oh boy. Oh my god, this this is a this writer is very uh wordy. Yeah. Very uh, okay. Blah, blah 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 Um Obsequience? <laughs> okay. Oh my goodness. So just uh, give up. Yeah, I give up. Rainbow, <laughs> even crack jokes like BOC, although their mystical lyrics pale beside the more heavy-edged clout of that same group's more Ouija board outtakes. They are, I admit, almost constant which might well justify the grabba grabba sales, which will doubtlessly ensue. Okay. I'm, I'm just getting tired of this guy's writing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
Look at this. <laughs> look at this article. Ouch. Put down that mace. I'm sorry. Is that the point? I fear it is a plastic Holocaust in your heavy hands. OK, All right. This, yeah, this so clown is done. Apparently uh, that guy had some stuff to say about it, uh, but too, <laughs> too clever for his own good, because I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Mm. Um, then we got this one right here, which is um, from a Czech publication, which is actually easier to read, even though my Czech is a little rusty. Um, they gave it three stars and I, I talked to Jorg about it and he said it was a pretty bad review. So he gave me a rough translation. Um, starts off with, it may well be true that rain, the rainbow band, Richie Blackmore, the former guitarist of deep purple is one of the most popular of its kind in the world today. This is what you think about, uh, and break your brain when listening to long live rock and roll. Most recent album by rainbow that came out recently. Uh, what I find bring this album to ruin and target them, of course, to the status of Rainbow uh, is the album is no different from thousands of other similar dealers in the market in recent years. Uh, this is not to say that it's poor, but it's disappointing. And you have uh, this is a rough translation, by the way. Uh, the team has medium heavy rock music. Um, what else do you say? Uh, certain streams are downloaded from everything from Led Zeppelin to even Uriah Heep. Uh, Blackmore Dio are very harmless. Ooh, Blackmore and drummer Cozy Powell, but others are also good. Ronnie Dio uh, sings well, but surely Rainbow are better than they sound. That's basically. Mm. It's a, you know, very rough translation. Easier to read than that previous one. So a couple of, couple of quick little things. Then we got a few little other ads here, like this one that uses the rush picture. <laughs> uh, some German reviews. So there you go. It's the Long Live Rock and Roll album. Unfortunately, the Dio era will not be long lived. Richie said he wanted this to be more like a party LP, uh, which doesn't really fit too well with what we hear. There's a couple of, mm. you know, good rocker songs that would work well, but mostly it's kind of sticking true to that rising formula. Uh, Stone was only on this one album, then he left the band. And then Dio and Daisley talked about forming a band when they left. Uh, they were they were they, they were leaving the band around the same time. They said, oh, maybe we could form a band together. And then Ozzy left Black Sabbath and Dio said, Dio was offered the job in Black Sabbath. So Dio goes to Black Sabbath. And then what do you know? But Ozzy snacks up, snatches up Daisley. And uh, <laughs> so that even though they didn't form a yep. band together, they both kind of went in similar routes because of that same, that same, uh, instance with happening with black sabbath and there you go daisley off to form blizzard of oz which would later just be ozzy and dio joining the ranks of black sabbath and we will probably be bidding farewell to both of those gentlemen for some time before we get back to uh tracking where they went after this so there you have it rainbow long live rock and roll I was we were gonna say rainbow. I was gonna say rising. <laughs> rising. 
Whoops. Rainbow falling. Falling all the way down to Earth, some may say. Oh. Um, so there you go. What more is there to say? Um, long live rock and roll. Long live rock and roll. Absolutely. <laughs> we love rock no, and roll. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, not not much left to say. I feel like this feel like the the album is is good, but um probably probably of the three Ronnie Rainbow albums, not not my favorite. Surprise. Despite the rankings. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, well, I mean, Rising is definitely my favorite. And I don't know, between this one and Blackmore's Rainbow, I honestly, I don't know. I feel like Blackmore's Rainbow is more a representation of what they were were supposed to be, I guess you mm-hmm. could say, than this one. Well, I think uh, Blackmore's Rainbow was more like, it had this hopeful feeling about it about this this fresh new band that was coming together and like ex- this excitement yet it was it, its formation was a little bit mm-hmm. uh, iffy in points where it wasn't as as solid as it could have been and then right. this this album has all of that solidness uh and all of that structure and kind of discipline of a well-formed band even though it was kind of all over the map with the players but yet uh, or maybe maybe the material was a little bit more the they were a little bit more jaded or a little bit less interested in it. Mm-hmm. So if you could have combined that excitement and energy level of that first album with the material on this album, or uh, I think it could have been something pretty special. Well, it is still something special. It's freaking Rainbow's Long Live Rock and Roll. It's a great album. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess with that we will have to convene next week. And who knows what we'll be doing next week. I don't even I don't even think we know. No, we actually for the first time in a really long time, we don't even know. So hopefully we figure something in the next few days. We're going to have to figure something out. Until then, we will see you next week. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also give us a rating on iTunes to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. Oh, it sound, still sounds bad. Hmm. I, I don't know. I haven't changed anything about the setup over there. Like everything just kind of remains the same every week, so I don't know what it can be. Um, maybe try like resetting your audio device. Like it, it already sounds better. What? Yeah, that sounds perfect. Oh wait a minute! Now you sound far away. Really? <laughs> what the f-